Hey everyone, JWoww here. It's been quite some time since the last time you heard from us. Brent and I have been gearing up for the new season of the 235 Film Podcast. You guys voted on sci-fi classic films as the overarching topic we will be looking at. And I'll tell you what, if you make it to the end of today's episode, I'll let you in on the first episode of season two. But in the meantime, here's another bonus episode with a bonus guest star as well. We had our friend Alex join us on this episode as it's one of his favorite films. And that film is Paul Schrader's 2017 chill-inducing drama, First Reformed. The film follows a pastor played by Ethan Hawke in the throes of a spiritual crisis who spirals out of control after a soul-shaking encounter with an unstable environmental activist. This is an extremely thought-provoking film that leaves you with questions long after the credits roll. You might even say it resonates more so today than at its release three years ago. So if you haven't seen it yet, I recommend you hit that pause button and check it out before continuing. And for everyone else that's still here, we have plenty to say about this one, so let's jump right in. All right, we're back. Joined with a special, special guest today. Ooh, uh, Alex's microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. No, no, but seriously, we're uh, honored to be joined by Alex Thomas today. Mm. Um, give him a little shout out, Alex. Uh, yes, my name is Alex Thomas. <laughs> I made these Low Life's logo, and. Uh, <laughs> And I work for uh, Windu Creative. God bless you. <laughs> yeah, Alex is a uh, aficionado of all things First Reformed, I'd say. Of course. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I've seen it two times. Yep, so you're well-versed. <laughs> Expert. <laughs> yeah, you know, the movie, like, the back of your hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ethan Hawke And then, as it? always, oh, yeah. yep, yeah, as always, we're joined by my co-host, uh, Jay Wow. Jay Wow. Yep. That's me. Tell I'm here. The, tell the people. Hey, people. <laughs> yeah. So here we are. So, okay, we watched First Reformed. God bless. <laughs> we did. And, and Brent had mentioned that Alex, this is like his favorite movie. So we were like, well, why don't we have him on? I, I love Let's this movie. It. I love this movie. <laughs> so here we are, First Reformed. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll start things off. Yeah, kick us off then. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> I watched uh, an interview with Ethan Hawke, and in it he said he asked Paul Schrader, who's a director, about the ending of this movie, which I know we just started. We're already talking about the ending, but <laughs> he said a good movie starts when you walk out of a theater. It's like you ring a bell, and it, and it vibrates inside of you. And I got to say that this bell is still, like, ringing for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been probably, like, four days, and I'm still just ringing just as loudly. Uh, not only because of, like, the perturbed and unsettling nature of the film, mm-hmm. but also the themes it explores uh, rings pretty true to me. <clears throat> yeah, it's a perfect movie for this year. Uh, yeah, I think it applies it applies really deeply to to where we are in, in a current condition as, as humans. And I think it's a, it's a really interesting take on, on all of that. Yeah. yeah, I was uh, I was watching it again last night, and I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like, because when I seen it the first time, it was like early last year, and watching it this last time, I feel like it it had so much more significance to me because like, like so many of the themes that are discussed, even the just overarching theme of like this reverend like going through questioning his faith and humanity Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and like the works of people like i feel like that rings so much more true right now just with like everything that's going on you know Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like it was such uh such more of an impactful experience last night than it was the first time and you know there's there's like schrader calls it transcendal uh like spiritual yeah. Um, cinema. He like developed his own genre for it because he's not he's not just like <clears throat> he's not just like straightforward discussing spiritualism. Uh-huh. He's like throwing in these obviously subliminal and uh, you know I don't want to say extraterrestrial, but definitely out of this world mm-hmm. like themes like. Yeah the whole flight scene and everything like that yeah. was like a little bit out of worldly. So he's like, he's creating this, but it kind of feels that way right now. Like everything is like mm-hmm. a little bit overexposed. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. I found it, I found it pretty unique in that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, Paul, 
uh, Schrader again, and he he's he's a I think what he calls himself is a Dutch Dutch Reformed, so he's a, Prot- a Protestant, mm-hmm. and he said that he's always wanted to explore that the theme of like spirituality in his films, but never really had like a he didn't feel like he had a chance. I think what he said is when he finally got because he was a film critic before becoming a, a screenwriter. Yeah. And when he finally got into, uh, he, he, I, th- I think he mentioned uh, this movie Pickpocket back in like the 60s. I can't remember exactly the year, but he watched that movie and he was like, okay, so you can explore certain themes that have relation to that spirituality. And so he started, you know, screenwriting and wrote like Taxi Driver, which has sort of a theme, a, a similar theme to this one, but in a very different setting <laughs> yeah um, only only slightly different <laughs> it's basically the same movie but he said that he he always wanted to do like a full on like a uh, film that like explored that spirituality uh theme and he said that he watched uh Ida or Ida I can't remember how to yeah, pronounce Ida. that yeah back uh what was this like 4 or 5 years ago now and uh that he had a he had a lunch with the director of that film which I can't remember who it was right now um and he was like coming out of that lunch he was like okay now it's time to like do what i actually to write the thing i want to write because he said he said he had been like so um uh in love with like the way hollywood has been uh exploring themes of like sexuality and violence and all that stuff that he was just so in in, inside of that those themes that he wanted to kind of take a step back and look at this that he's been wanting to do forever yeah. 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 He goes he goes into that conversation of spirituality and film pretty deep in his uh, A24 podcast. Mm. Oh, yeah. He did a he did an episode of A24 with uh, Sofia Coppola. So it was oh, him nice. and her and they were interviewing each other. That's kind of like the format of those shows. Um, and it was right after First Reformed came out. And then the next episode they put out was Ethan Hawke and somebody else was interviewing um and ethan hawk was talking about the same kind of concept about how like he wanted to be like exposing himself in a way in like spirituality in film you know like i feel like that's a super vulnerable thing to to make a film about and like you're saying in that podcast paul schrader was talking about how like this is for him like him like what he was doing was opening up himself in this depiction of film like his his questions of his spirituality and like his thoughts on what he believes and how he believes all of that is being echoed in first reformed and like this was his like vulnerability on screen i i think that um you were talking about ida and i i read an interview last night about like that's how he got his um inspiration to go the four by three route Mm -hmm. like that that a little bit more um, right you know yeah reformed style of (laughs) like aspect ratio uh which i think really works in this film i think that um i think that what it does is it (laughs) it's actually really unique i was thinking about it last night is it takes the uh like this this old time religion in a way Mm -hmm. like everything about this church even the reverend and his thought process and things like that mm-hmm. is old time you know mm-hmm. and for the first 10 minutes of the movie you could almost just assume that it's set in like the late 1800s oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. until until you start to see the cars and things like that you could just assume the way he's writing his journal like his 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 Rebucation of like social media and word documents and things like that. Uh-huh. He's like, it's almost like he's reforming the new ways and maintaining the old ways. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's really well done in that regard. I think that, um, I think that it does a good job using that aspect ratio of, of differentiating between like what he believes now and that relationship with, abundant life the mega church you know what Mm -hmm. i mean i feel like i feel like that's kind of divisive intentionally in a way Mm. um i think i think the aspect ratio speaks a lot in this movie which Mm -hmm. is is i caught on to that last night more than the first time there's other movies that do four by three and it's obviously intentional but it might be like an aesthetic thing or something like that but i think the four by three in this one like carries a message in itself yeah in yeah, a way yeah, yeah you know yeah yeah i think i think in general four by three kind of gives you that um 
a bit of an urgency to what like the film is kind of bringing to the table. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes sense with this one with all the all the uh, environmental crisis issues that yeah. that keep coming up in the film. Um, but also it gives a little bit of this uh, claustrophobic uh, feel yeah, to the film too, yeah. Yeah. which which works with this one as, as well because he's he's kind of like this uh, he's almost like put himself in this like world by himself at this parish where he's just like alone, totally alone, and it kind of like the four by three really like I think accentuates it like especially with the way you you frame four by three you kind of have to like go a little bit wider so it kind of shows the like the body a little bit more yeah. so it kind of gives that more accentuates that feeling of like loner ship i don't know in in the character yeah and i think like uh whenever he's like i think of it as order too because obviously like this uh minister he's like very like organized and it's from his military background and so yeah. a lot of those shots are like him like showing his private suffering but in order like everything that he does is like he, he's not like the chaotic type to be shut down and be like just disheveled and all of these things and because he's an alcoholic throughout the entire movie but he's uh-huh. he's not like the typical you know house is a mess like he he's tidy because right. he's like he can't handle his own sufferings uh and so he's like it, it's such a contrast of of who he is versus what he thinks he should be. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. that is good. It's actually, it's interesting that you say that because we're set up in the beginning, seeing that order. And then throughout the film, there's certain things that start to see like a collapse in that, mm-hmm. like, um, like almost like his desperation is taking over and it's, uh, it's starting to take things away. Like I, one of the things that I echo in that is he's having this conversation about the consecration and, mm-hmm. um, he's, like being asked if things have been completed yet and his answer continues to be no and when he's saying that i'm thinking to myself like all right you know in the beginning we saw this guy who's obviously you know he's in despair when we start Mm -hmm. like you can tell he's tortured but Mm -hmm. you're right like things are very strategic and strict and like he's well organized you know he he, it feels like he's got his finger on the pulse of the first reformed church and like he wants to see things succeed then when he's saying that and he's like denying his doctor's appointments and things like that you can kind of start to see that he feels like he doesn't really have a reason anymore Mm -hmm. and that things just start to kind of be fleeting to him you know yeah well it's like whenever he's talking to the uh the her husband the first time and he's talking about the the crisis and the and, and it awakens in him like a real yeah. purpose to be a man of faith. And I think like like he says, uh, like courage is is believing two contradictory thoughts at the same time and, and being able to live in that way. And so he's living in that that mindset. But then that 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 gets completely broken down because he's trying to rehearse all of these things that he thinks are right. He's suffering for no reason throughout the entire movie, but then he finally finds a reason to suffer. And I think it's like an accomplishment for him. Like he he can finally, you know, spread his (laughs) suffering wings and become a martyr (laughs) in the way that he, he always wanted to be, I think. So... Yeah. yeah, I think I think what he says is wisdom. Wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in hope our, and despair in our mind. Yes, yeah, wisdom simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hope and despair, uh, which is brings about my favorite. Like he says, uh, uh, my favorite quote from the movie is just like, a life without despair is a life without hope, mm-hmm. and like holding these two in our head is life itself. So, uh, which I think kind of brings about the entire theme of the movie. Yeah. It's just right. it's always like hope and despair. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here, so I'm going to hold on to a little bit of what I want to say yeah. about all that. If we're not wanting to get ahead of ourselves, maybe we should just jump right back to like the first two minutes of the sure, movie yeah. Yeah. on this, uh, this beautiful tracking shot that leads <laughs> up to the church from the sidewalk. Uh, I think when I saw that, um, it just kind of like the, the, the tree shot in um, Prisoners, <laughs> it, there was so much emphasis on the church itself, mm-hmm. uh, almost as if uh, the church was in that shot overtaking in a way. Um, I feel like it spoke so much like that 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 shot itself was like, you know, it starts out straightforward. And as it moves closer to the church, like you say, the four by three aspect ratio causes things to have to be like wider as it mm-hmm. moves closer. It, it's like the church is almost overwhelming 
you mm-hmm. know? And I think that kind of speaks to the film itself is this, this reverend is starting to feel overwhelmed or, or, you know, smothered in a way by his faith. Um, and I, I feel like that, that shot in the first two minutes kind of set us up to believe that, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, I was reading something last night about like the intention behind that was to like kind of bring this looming feeling in the beginning. Like it starts out normal. And then as that shot continues, things to seem a little bit more looming, like the sky becomes a little bit more gray as it gets Mm -hmm. closer to the church. And like, you start to feel like this kind of cold feeling. Mm -hmm. I think it accomplished that. I think it accomplished yeah, that. Yeah, I was watching with my girlfriend. She was like, is this a scary movie? Like, the first five <laughs> minutes, I was like, no, it's not. It's not. Well, yeah. I guess it's kind of scary, it's a but, safe like, yeah. it's a different scary. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different feeling. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. 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 It's funny, because uh, you mentioned that, because when I first watched the trailer, I don't know what took me so long, because this is the very first time I watched this movie. I don't know what took me so long to watch this, um, but I remember watching the trailer back when it was released and seeing that shot of him with, like, the... I, I, I couldn't tell what it was, but the barbed wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah strapped on him and i was like what is this movie like (laughs) do i really want to watch this um so it kind of kept me away a little bit but um i'm back to what um brant was saying about the church itself um i think there's a lot of symbolism between this like little parish and this like mega church Mm -hmm. that uh kind of oversees the parish because the way we see i i think the 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 Christianity we see in America today is totally different than what it might have been back when that small parish was, you know, uh, constructed. Yeah. 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 So I think it's interesting to see those two uh, parallax each other, um, even with like, uh, what's his name? Pastor Joel, Cedric the Entertainer, (laughs) which I was like, wait, (laughs) what's he doing in this movie? (laughs) He doesn't, he didn't do a bad job though. I I, I enjoyed it. yeah. 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 Um, and so, like, kind of seeing those two parallel each other uh, with kind of even the, the thoughts going behind what um, Taller is saying to, to Joel, like, in his office later on, kind of mm-hmm. talking about the environmental issues and even bringing, yeah. like, biblical, like, verses into the conversation. And Joel, like, even spins his chair around to face <laughs> yeah. the other way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of, like, giving his back to what he's saying. So... Uh, I think those two go in hand, hand, hand in hand a lot because there's even that scene where so Michael um, leaves like all of this information on his computer mm-hmm. that Toller takes and he sees that uh, one of the biggest um, um, uh, money givers or offering givers, whatever you want to call it, to yeah. the church is this um, energy company. I think they're an energy, energy, energy yeah. company. So it's like this church is being funded by this like this company who's, you know, in a in a way is killing God's creation, you know. So it's it's funny to see how um, those themes kind of parallel so through so many things in this movie. Like I didn't even think about that church uh, symbolism until Brant started talking about it. And there's already so much other things that I want to talk about. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this movie, and it and I think it kind of frustrates me sometimes when movies do that, where it's like there's so many things being said and trying to be established. But right. to me, in this movie, it works because you can kind of like it tells one cohesive story, but you can then unpack later and, and yeah. process through everything. Uh, and I think like part of me questions too. The environmentalism is horrific, right? But mm-hmm. I think of his intention of why, you know, in the end of the movie, uh, he did what he did uh, because, you know, he mentioned his son mm-hmm. and his son died in a war. That didn't mean anything. That's what he says, too. Yeah. And, and I think like him having that, knowing he has the stomach cancer, knowing that he's suffering. It's like he, he I think he like because of the guilt of putting his son into the military, I think he feels like he needs to somehow reciprocate that and, 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 and die for something worth something. And then right. and then Absolutely. all of that energy is moving all into one direction for him. And I think that that's why he ultimately becomes so passionate and so driven more than he maybe would have in an earlier instance or something like that. So yeah. absolutely. Yeah, 100 percent. What it's it's funny you mentioned that because um, I felt as though uh, I'm a Christian. You guys are Christians. So (laughs) we've got to have title on me. (laughs) I'm a Jesus follower. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) If Jesus runs in my blood. (laughs) 
Um, so it's interesting to to, to kind of take um, the thought of like in in religion and specifically in you know Catholicism and, and Christianity. There's this atonement by blood mm-hmm. that kind of goes through you know all of it. Where whether it be from like the sacri- the animal sacrifices that you know is the Israelites did, to eventually you know Christ Himself, you know taking on that sacrifice, <clears throat> but that can become so dangerous when it's taken to the extreme, right? Which yeah. we see sort of in a way uh, what Michael is planning to do with the suicide vest, mm-hmm. which um, his wife and Toller find. Um, and then Toller himself, you know, taking on that, like, he wants to be this martyr because he's, he's, like you said, he's finding this thing to suffer for and kind of, um, sacrifice himself for. Um, so it's, I, I, I I don't know. It's, it's, go ahead. I think think in a way his despair kind of put him in that position. Also, like we echo back to when we were talking about how, you know, he's been put in this position at first reformed and now he's like alone there, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think, you know, the kind of the reaction of surprise on his face when Mary came and and spoke to him to begin with uh, caught him off guard. Uh, And I think when he when he got that opportunity to speak to somebody and really hear what that person believed in and was passionate about, that Uh was kind of like the moment where now he had something that he could work towards, you know, like Mm. I feel like being alone for so long and soaking in his own despair with no hope, Mm. that conversation with Michael kind of gave him that hope of something to, to have martyrdom for, you know, it's interesting to see like where he actually like starts to change Toller himself. Cause like, like um, like Alex was saying in that first conversation, he comes away from that conversation, like writing in his journal, saying that it was exhilarating, mm-hmm. like that he it was almost like reinvigorating his like uh, faith in a way. Um, but also he's like questioning himself, like going over, like, maybe I should have said it this way. And then he kind of says what he was going to say. He's like, maybe I'm glad I didn't say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting because he comes away from that conversation not like having really that change of mind like where he's gonna he's he's got this cause that he wants to take up. Mm-hmm. It isn't until like after Michael has like killed himself, which I think at one point I think in, in at one point is it because he he makes he makes I think he I think he kills himself. I don't think he was just planning on killing himself. I think a his plan was like you know found out in a way and he wasn't gonna go through with that plan anymore with the suicide yeah, vest they found whether it, yeah. it was a part of me even thinks like he was gonna blow up uh abundant life church because he sees that that the because in his information he sees the that like bulk. it's getting money from yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. from bulk or whatever <clears throat> but like it isn't until after his his plan is foiled and then he kills himself still like he kills himself. He still kills himself without like going through like the whole, sh- the whole thing of like making a, um, uh, how do I say it? Like a, the social, like awareness thing to it. He just mm-hmm. kills himself. He didn't bring it, bring any social awareness to it. So I wonder even if like after that conversation, um, Michael like kind of takes heed of what, um, Toller told him about like hope and despair for his child's life mm-hmm. um, as far as like maybe if he like if the child comes in at least I won't be here so like I'm almost like he's replacing me you mm-hmm. know does that make sense mm-hmm. so it's not like he is bringing another human into the world and into the terrible world but he's actually taking my place yeah um, but it isn't until after that that Toller actually starts making like changes in, in what his, his thinking is and in what he's writing in his journal. And then we also see, he, he see him asking if Mary also believes in this environmental thing. And she says, yes, but there's still hope. Mm -hmm. So it's even, it's even, (laughs) it's it's crazy because like, I feel like Mary embodies what, uh, Toller was talking about earlier in that first conversation with Michael between like hope and despair. He, like she is the balance of hope and despair. She has that despair of what, you know, humans have done to this planet. Yeah. And that they may there may be no way back, but there's still a chance. So she holds on to that hope. Yeah. I don't know. There's so much in this movie. And man. I think I think if you and this is like even deeper. This is like the the movie theorist thing of like her being the Virgin Mary, you know, and like yeah. right, yeah, Mary, that imagery yeah. and 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 how he sees that hope in her and like yeah, and of course that ties into the end. I would say, but like 
but him having his spiritual experiences, his real connective pieces, I think, of, of where he finds the authenticity in his religion mm-hmm. is is through Mary. And I think yeah. that, that that's kind of, it all lines up to, to, yeah. to that. Yeah, so. I agree with you there. Yeah. I think I think another thing, like you're talking about, he uh, how he as a as a person himself started to shift after Michael killed himself, um, and like he started to work towards this uh, that conversation that he had with you know uh, Jeffers, the the pastor of the the mega mm-hmm. church, and he's explaining this this information to him uh, and like telling him about this stuff and he's not listening to him. I think that Mm -hmm. was another thing that kind of like drove that into him of like, you know, I've worked so long in in this position of faith, but there's this obvious issue and, and the church wasn't there for it. Like Mm -hmm. we've known this information and, and how does that align with my faith itself? Like I have to stand for one or the other. Right. Which points back to like what I was saying between like the the parish and the megachurch because yeah. uh, the reason why I see so many like differences between like time is that like that parish was on the underground railroad it was making a difference right mm-hmm. it was bringing in these like these mm-hmm. people that were running away from slavery and hiding them and helping them whereas this mega church is not helping the environment they're yeah. like you know they're, they're being they're, funded by yeah exactly yeah so so and even like the thing that the mega church is putting on the what's it called the con- consecration reconsecration reconsecration yeah you got it <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> Um, is putting is being put on like the all the money that's being put towards this event is being put on by like this energy company bulk yeah. bulk or whatever yeah bulk yeah. and I think if I look at Paul Schrader like the way he's writing this I always wonder if he uh, if if he's kind of not just trying to show the dissension of Ethan Hawke but he's trying to mm. also pull in the entire idea of the church, you know, and I think he is having a very pessimistic view. And it's not just yeah. the guy that's going crazy, but he, it's almost a little bit like he's mocking the idea of martyrdom and saying, you know, you've you've lost so many people for what, you know, in yeah. reality, look at the pollution, look at these things like this is the real things. And I think even in that scene where he's with the pastor uh, of Abundant Life and they're talking, it's it's like uh, it, it's like uh it's so clear that he's so passionate, and I think that that, mm-hmm. that interprets, you know. You guys should, you should listen to the, the Paul Schrader episode of yeah, 24. Yeah, I'm going to do that he, yeah. today. <laughs> he definitely, what you're saying is absolutely true. He talks yeah. about that as like, as like, this is his message in a way to the church as a whole, is yeah. like, uh, you know, this is, this is what he feels like he's grown up in. And like, he talks about, he talks about his past being extremely devout in their, mm-hmm. in their like mm-hmm. religion. Um, and this is very much so a message on the church itself, like as a whole. Yeah. It's, right. a, it's an interesting listen for sure. That's cool. I think, I think w- what Alex said about um, uh, Paul Schrader being like more of a, pe- he's being very pessimistic in this. I think he's actually, I think he's both. I think he is trying to show that balance between the hope and the spare because um, even to go as far as like that scene where um, Toller goes to the the small group that they have in the church mm-hmm. with the, those kids, the young kids, and he talks to like, uh, what's his name, Pastor Jeffers afterwards. Yeah. And Jeffers is like basically telling them like you have to give hope to these kids. So, like, it's almost like you're hiding the despair. Mm-hmm. You're just focusing on hope. So, like, even, yes, hope is the better thing than the despair, but at the same time, you need that balance between the two. Yeah. You can't have hope without despair. So, um, so it's interesting that, like, again, the whole thing with, like, the megachurch, the Christianity today versus, like, how it was before, like, that parish was was helping these people out of despair. Mm-hmm. But they were hiding from that despair, right? Whereas, like, this megachurch is, like, trying to cover up the despair (laughs) that exists and just focus on the hope. Um, I don't know. There's so much interesting things in this. Yeah. I I could pick this apart all day. Now that that you kind of say that, those two together are kind of like that that large-scale version of what he was talking about with Michael, the hope and despair. Like, when you look at First Reformed, 
really all we see is it's swallowed in despair. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, look, it, I mean, it's surrounded by a cemetery and yeah. he lives <laughs> yeah. alone in this dark upstairs, like parsonage house. Yeah. And then you look at abundant life and, and they're portraying themselves as like the hope in all of it, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, he goes there for his, his monthly downloads or whatever yeah. uh, to just be <laughs> refilled with hope out of his despair. I think that, I think that's interesting how it's set up that way. I'm, I'm sure that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's go towards the end then. Cause I kind of want to get your, your thoughts on this. Both of y'all. Um, yeah. Well, can we, uh, Oh, okay. Okay. Can we, can we actually, <laughs> What about what about that uh, magical mystery tour scene? Yeah, I love <laughs> okay, that Leah, scene. Let's talk oh about my that. Goodness. Yeah. Alex, give us more on that. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> were they like? Did he just like take some out <laughs> LSD or something? Or like, was it? I think that scene is is incredible to it because that looks nothing like the rest of the movie. Yeah, obviously. And it's it's almost like as a person who believes in it, in a supernatural being, like him feeling that connectivity, I think, is, is a breakdown of of, uh, you know, that 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 conformity of the framing of everything. And, I th- and but then it obviously turns kind of awful, but it's like a recognition of the supernatural. So. Me and Brandon and I are are laughing because like it it cut out for a second there, so we didn't hear your full thought. So we're like, yeah, a couple different times you've been talking about something that seems really good. (laughs) I'm so confused because y'all are just laughing at me, and I don't know. I'm saying stupid stuff. It just cuts out for a sentence or two, and I think they're crucial sentences. But I'm sure I've, I think I've, I've been able to fill it in with yeah. context on the other yeah, ones. But this too. one, I was like, yeah. not totally sure. Yeah. So I think Ethan Hawke is. And then when he, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> that makes so much sense. Okay. Um, cool. um, yeah. So yeah, I, that scene I, is great. It breaks yeah. up. I think if the movie never had a scene like that. I think that it would kind of um, not be as remembered. I, I think that that scene is very memorable to me. And every time I think back on that movie, I think of that scene because mm-hmm. it it's such a breaking moment. Yeah. And I think every movie that maybe is that monotone at some point needs a little element like that. And I think that that was really smart for him to pull that in there. So. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I agree. I think the film is better with that scene in there because mm-hmm. it's showing a... Especially for uh, the character of Tal- Reverend Toller, he's like, we see him as this like lone being throughout the entire film. So like in that moment, he's creating this like, he's having this human contact yeah. that he hasn't had in so long. Yeah, and it's I think we're seeing that scene from his perspective. Yeah, um, with what he's like experiencing in that moment that he hasn't experienced in a while. Yeah, yeah. that that's how I that's how I perceived it too was just like a sense of connectivity. Um, Mm -hmm. and that like, for me, part of, part of it was like, that was, that was her feeling like re-enlivened again too, because she came Mm -hmm. in in such a low place, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for her, I feel like that was, that was her feeling a breath of life again, because then after that we see him going on bike rides and things like that. And now she's kind of gotten her, 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 her pizzazz for life back. But I think, I think you're right for him. That was that was in a way connectivity Alex to like, you're saying something supernatural for sure. Mm-hmm. Because why yeah. else would they be flying? <laughs> yeah, Cause there's, there's only two scenes in the movie where it breaks from being still uh-huh. and it's that scene. And then the end. And so right. yeah. that's like a moment of awakening for him. And I think that's also kind of where he realizes that out of all the yeah. hope in the world, there's like the overwhelming burden of tragedy exists yeah, on top of that. that. You know, like yeah. he, he can't, see, yeah, he yeah, can't yeah. get away from it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Because we see those background images. It goes from like they're on a mountain, from yeah. like, off of a mountain yeah. peak, the, yeah, to eventually like whatever, yeah. all these like rubber tires everywhere and just like this oh, environmental gosh. thing yeah. going on. So yeah, definitely, I totally feel you on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do we want to go to the end? 
Yeah. Or is there Can more, I say one thing really quick? Yeah, yeah, go, go. I think Amanda Seyfried, props to her. Uh-huh. I would never think of her in this in this role. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. does so great. No, uh, the yeah. only Amanda Seyfried, this is her second best performance. Okay. Her her first best she d- did a role with Justin Timberlake. Oh yeah, in time. I in love that time. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen In Time? I missed it. I missed oh, that movie. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, it's like no. the Matrix on steroids. I mean, what? it's better that you, yeah. you missed it. It's yeah. not good. It's, it's not good at all. It's V good. She came out with a, a Netflix movie L- last Le, year. Les Mis is what you're saying. <laughs> Your screen adaptation, uh, No, she came out. It was, it was a Clive, Clive uh, Owen film. I think it was called a non or anonymous. Someone. No, I'm not sure about it's that. Like a I only know in time and lay men. So this is her best role. So yes, <laughs> yeah, that's that is what you were trying to say. Uh, I, think, I agree. I think Probably. we could argue the same thing about Ethan Hawke as well. Absolutely, as his best a, role. It's a, yeah, absolutely, it is. I think it's this is is number one, and then know, right below hard. that, it's the the Before Sunset trilogy. Yeah, I I could agree with that. I think what, that this what's is. What's the one I, where the vampires are? Uh, that oh. one's really good too. <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> no clue what you're talking about, to be honest. It's basically in time, but with vampires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dead Poet Society, dude. Yeah, I'd go watch that. Oh shoot, he's in that. Yeah, it's a great yeah. movie. This is All his right, best anyways. performance All for right, sure. That's that's, that's <laughs> fact. Yeah, sure. I, I, it's like his. I think whenever he dies or in the future, like that'll be the one that he's very remembered by, and I think it'll be a, a touchstone for him. So, yeah. I don't know. I think people will probably remember him by his Before Midnight trilogy performance. No, yeah, but 100%. yeah, I actually, actually, <laughs> no, I'm my, serious. I, th- I think that people are going to look back and say, "Oh, Ethan Hawke, that guy uh, from the Before Midnight." Yeah, the dorks trilogy. like us though, we'll remember yeah, the style. Absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. My totally. gravestone's going to say, "Ethan Hawke." film that he was in that's what we're gonna be like oh that's the stuff yeah the one that like 30 people got to see yeah. in theaters yeah yeah exactly i was like how's our opening night guys so. <laughs> it's his best oh, all right what man. so what's your takes on um the end is is he dead yeah when when uh, she walks in or is that happening for real i don't think any like and I, I have heard Paul Schrader talk on this, and I think like mm-hmm. where he's like, I don't, I don't want to know. And I think that's an interesting opinion. I think clearly he's dead. That's how I see it. But mm. you know, it's up for interpretation. Yeah. Uh, Brand, do you want to give a take? Yeah, I think it's. I think that whole breakdown of the scene is interesting. I, I don't want to go too in depth if you're going to give like a very simple. Like approach at the end, <laughs> like I mean, I don't mean that in like an offensive way, but I mean like no, I'm not, I'm not gonna say like yeah, he's dead or no, okay, yeah, he's not a, dead. Like, yeah, okay. So uh, one thing that Alex said a little earlier in the show stood out to me a lot when we were talking about his like uh, his military background and his need for order. Mm-hmm. I think in that scene we kind of see that being taken from him in a way mm. um, because he he went. He was very strategic and set out when he started preparing for this plan. And the Mm. second he saw Mary, all of that got thrown off in a way that was like uh, uh, completely earth shattering for him. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that I think that he had gotten to a point now where he was like he had he had he had found his cause and he was Mm. ready to uh, execute that no Mm. matter what. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I think that show of emotion when he when he takes off his robe and he screams into it uh, mm. really showed one how much he cared for Mary, um, how much he hated what he was like, what he was living for, like how much he hated how bad things were that had gotten to this point where he needed to do something like this. Uh, I think in a way also that was his that was his need for order being jeopardized too. like now what am I going to do? I I found that really impactful. Probably the most impactful part of the ending was that that whole breakdown of how he saw Mary walking into the church and that like Mm -hmm. shifted everything for him. Um, I don't know. I (laughs) I think 
I think I think Alex is right in it, it is a little straightforward to me that he's dead. Um, Interesting. I thought you were going the other way. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I mean, in that scene, there's so many things that like. I I the way I interpret it is is at a point in that scene he dies. Mm-hmm. You know well, what I mean? Like I think. Yeah, I think the scene starts and he's 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 living, and then and then halfway through that scene he he dies. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And then I think the whole the whole part where Mary is in there is. Uh, uh, this vision yeah. he's having. Yeah. Um, so I was watching this interview from AFI with Paul Schrader. It might be the same one that... AFI um, stands for America Film Institute, if anybody's <laughs> wondering. A fire inside. Yeah. A fire inside. <laughs> um, in the interview, he says that after Taxi Driver came out, people started uh, to theorize that the ending of the film was a fantasy, which, I mean, one day we'll do a Taxi Driver episode to really talk in depth about that one. But, um, but he said he had no problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, Alex frowns. Uh, he doesn't look forward to our taxi driver episode. <laughs> Skipping that one. <laughs> we just lost a listener. Oh man! Uh, but he says that it wasn't what he, he, him, and Scorsese intended with the with this being like a fantasy at the end, but that he had no problem with it because it's a valid enough interpreta- interpretation. Um, but he said that when he was writing first reformed he wanted to bake the ambiguity in Mm. and so very calculatedly there's this ending that can be read in one of two ways one being that she suddenly appears and i'm reading this she suddenly appears and rescues him from his morbidity morbidity and the other an ecstatic vision where he drinks the cup falls to the floor on all fours starts disgorging his stomach and god who has not spoken to him throughout the film walks into the room and says reverend toller would you like to see what heaven looks like? And I'm going to show it to you right now. It looks like one long kiss. So, dude, that's what that's the way. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's the way I so, perceive it. I mean, obviously, you mean gorgeous stomach all over the place, but I, it, I think that there is like a rom- uh, a romantic uh, feel to like that. Like, yeah, he's dead. Like, there's this yeah. romantic, like, nerdy film theory right that i think mm-hmm. works really well and i think i would totally go for but i feel like in the movie itself i think that paul schrader puts enough like clues in there that it's real well here's here's the big clue that stood out to me that it's not real hmm. uh how much emphasis he put on the fact that the door was locked yeah but mm-hmm. also there were two doors because when we see her walk into the apartment the night that they floated together <laughs> <laughs> she walks in through the door through that hallway on the right side of the 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 apartment mm-hmm. and Jeffers tries to get in through the other door on the left Dude, side. I don't know about any right side that hallway <laughs> door. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe these blueprints to this house. Maybe you should maybe you should watch again. Um, it's the same door that he looks out and Dude, sees like her walking into the, into the reformed house sounds like an A24 online download. <laughs> 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 they just came out with a beach towel yesterday. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to me, the, to me, the most obvious of why I think he's dead and why I think it's a fantasy is yes, he has sprinkles of blood on his front yeah. of his shirt, but the dude is wrapped in barbed wire yeah. and he would um, be like oozing blood like continually. Yeah. And, I, and the, I think like. Bro, those robes are thick. My, no, my, no, 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 no. no. My, my depth, my depth to that, to him wrapping himself in the barbed wire, is yeah. it's kind of like he's pitiful. That's the way I see it. Like throughout the entire movie, he has this earnest seeking for sorrow and mm-hmm. to seek the trueness of what religion means and blah blah blah. But in the actual sense, he's like still an alcoholic. He still is like sleeping with yeah. this girl who he doesn't really care about. And then he s- finds Amanda or Seafried and like, you know, it, he's allowing Mary. Him- Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not great with names. And I have I and B up here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the girl from Mean Girls. And so, like, I think, like, like, yes, he desires, like, authenticity and purity and, like, all these things. Mm-hmm. But the whole time he's kind of, 
like as much suffering as he's going through, he's also kind of a sham. And, and mm. I think like him wrapping himself up in barbed wire, it, it reminds me of like the old, you know, uh, Franciscan or not uh, Franciscan, but the old Absolutely. monks that used to do the exact same yep. thing. But it was like all like themselves. a, uh, yeah. it was all a, a penance for themselves mm-hmm. to feel kind of pitiful for themselves. Right. And, and I think that, like that scene like yeah. really uh, echoes to the Da Vinci Code. I don't know if you guys have seen that with Tom yeah, Hanks, yeah. the Da Vinci Code. Uh, anyway, in the it's a classic, dude. A what do you mean? Like dude. this is like this is, <laughs> is, Amanda, is Amanda Seyfried in it? <laughs> it's, up, it's up there with First Reformed. Um, in time. The, Anyway, it, 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 that's the exact same thing that I think he like uh, in in the in the Da Vinci Code. There's like that 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 Franciscan like penance almost where these mm. these monks like whip themselves or like they step on nails or something like that to like uh, almost like um, like sacrifice themselves in a way a little bit because they're they're mm-hmm. not worthy. Uh, and and yeah. I completely agree that that's what that barbed wire was. And yeah. I, I think that there was a lot of symbolism when he changed his robes from black to the white. Mm-hmm. I think that that was super intentional to tell us that there was this transitionary mm-hmm. scene that's like, all right, you know, now he's gone into glory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have a slightly different interpretation than you, Brent. Alex didn't really give us a full interpretation of that scene, but like when he <laughs> sees, <laughs> he just said, I think he's dead. <laughs> dead. <laughs> um, when he sees her walk in, I think it's not so much out of like, I don't want to kill her, but I think it's more like she is the hope in him. Because he talks about that balance in that first um conversation with Michael between hope and despair but gradually over the course of the film he like just leans totally the opposite way into despair Mm. um and to the point that he wants to be a martyr for this cause that he's found and I think when he that's why he doesn't want her to show up at the church because she is his hope and so when she does he see her sees her walking into the church he takes off the robe and screams into it i think not so much in um agony in agony but more in like um i guess it is a sort of agony in that like he can't go through with his plans uh because he wants to like alex was saying he wants to like drown in that despair he found something to like to put his suffering into Mm -hmm. and he won't have that satisfaction because she's there he still wants to show i think the I i agree with alex with what um the barbed wire means but i think he does that over the suicide vest because he still wants to show well what it is that he's like um uh, standing up for his cause but he's not going to go to the to the lengths that he was planning on because he's finding a balance now with yeah. her coming into the picture. Yeah. So I think when the, so because of my interpretation of that her being she, she is his hope, I can't that I can't think that he's dead. That makes sense. Because it would be it would be contradicting to to each other to your, in my yeah. mind. I, yeah. I, I, it, so with, so yeah. to me I think he's alive and she walks into the room and that's her hope. That's his hope, right? And the same thing, like you were saying, the white robe. I think that's that's also that. Like he's going into that white robe, as in like he's finding a balance between hope and despair. And so that's kind of my interpretation of it. Well, I see. I see. Uh, also, because whenever he walks up towards her, he has a little bit of blood on him. Yeah. I think yeah. I see that as like in his fantasy, right? Let's say he's dying, mm-hmm. and like this is this last moment. I, I see it as like, yes, I. You see my suffering. But it's not mm. the reality that I'm like bleeding and like covered in blood and disgusting. It's like right. I have these little speckles of blood because of my saintly sacrifice, my saintly suffering. And I think like, uh-huh. and then like like he would bleed if he if she was holding him. Yeah, you know, like like those kinds of things. Like I think it's like his envisionment of like, oh, I wrap myself in barbed wire. This is my little sacrifice instead mm-hmm. of the bloody. And I think that's the whole movie. It's like he's covering up all of these realities yeah, that yeah, are yeah. gross and like hard for him to handle. And like that little bit is like the, you know, you see like the uh, paintings of Jesus, like the old painting. And it's got like three drops of blood, you know, going uh-huh. down his hand yeah. or, you know, like very pretty detailed. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of him walking towards them. Hmm. He has those little, or walking towards her, those little speckles of blood, you know, and I kind of see it that way. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's totally, I think it is, he leaves enough ba- ambiguity yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, like yeah. he said, he wanted to bake it in because... Yeah. Not only does he just cut away from the the ending there, but like 
there there is multiple things that that kind of make you question whether she is real. Like like you mentioned, her coming into the apartment, finding a way into the apartment even though it was mm. locked. Dude, wasn't just and, that she just appears there. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, but that also was the like part that was jarring for me is that he just like, also turns like around the, and she's there. Yeah, but also like they hug and she's not being affected by that barbed wire. Mm. Well, it's old barbed wire. He's wrapped in robes. Like, yeah, maybe it's, I mean, it's not yeah. like fresh product. Uh, <laughs> it, it, these robes sure. aren't made of like. Sheer. I thought you said you thought that she was dead, bro. I'm trying to help your your cause here. What do you mean? What? Well, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that I think that looking at it both different ways could work. I think that I think that. Uh, I think that like pouring into your she's his hope that's not him dying theory um <laughs> that uh-huh. that like that like uh that circular shot that they have around them kissing at the end uh-huh. could definitely yeah. could definitely give weight to that being like you know we we go back to this this second only moving shot of the whole film and yeah. Now, you know, it could go both ways. The first time we saw this movie shot, there was this supernatural flight scene. So this could definitely be some sort of like heavenly romance, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it could also be like uh, this is showing how now he's feeling uh, overwhelmed with hope. And now he has like a reason to live again kind of thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I think that's too romantic though for this movie. <laughs> I think yeah. Oh, the kissing, yeah. Well, no, like no, in the, the romanticized idea. Survival. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I agree. That like that like, oh well, she's the girl's gonna come in and he's gonna, you know, embrace I, her I and then everything's agree. great. I, I, I think right. like from the writer of Taxi Driver, like I think like that's <laughs> kind of like a really weird ending and to I, go with. Especially where it just jarringly cuts us out. I think yeah. that for sure that I think yeah. I think that he died and yeah. and that was his like that was his like entry into mm-hmm. his eternity you know what yep. I mean like right. I, I and I think that he cuts it so abruptly on purpose Did we talk I, about where he's writing about the guy who uh her husband Mary's husband Michael <laughs> Michael yeah Michael I have it right here on my screen <laughs> And you still can't do it. You still can't track. Uh, and he says, you know, what? what's a person's last thought? You know, like, oh, there goes my head. Or, you know, oh, like, yeah. and, and there's that whole idea of what, what his last thought is. And, and it might be Mary, you know. And, yeah. and it's like the visible, visual interpretation of what he sees. Yeah. And that's his last moment. Uh, and I think that's a little bit, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this movie. Yeah. yeah. You know? and, and I think that that's pulling to that. So. 100%. Yeah. I... I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think well, I, I'd I, be interested to know <laughs> your <laughs> answer in- is wrong. No, 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 no. I think here, here's what I think. I, I'd be interested to know what Paul Schrader wanted, like as the definitive, you know, but answer. Yeah, the, but exactly. I don't said, think I don't. Right. I, I don't think that he he. I think he wanted it up to the viewer, and I think it's more interesting to. I, I feel like this movie is almost like a a bit of like a mirror that reflects where you're at at life in the moment, mm-hmm. because I think people who may be uh, leaning more towards that despair and narcissism and all that may see him as dying, whereas people that are maybe more hopeful or romantic, romantic in like not the literal term of the word, but the literal definition of the word may think that he, he survives. Um, so basically what I'm trying to say is that, uh, Alex is a narcissist. Right. And, and <laughs> Brant is full of despair. And that J.Y. was the true romantic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, in his, uh, in his A24 interview, he talks about the ending and he talks about, he talks about how it's up to the viewer whether he drinks the, the Drano mm-hmm. or not, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Yeah. I think they're going to make a second one. You know? <laughs> First of all, two. They have star Cedric the Entertainer. He's the he's the new star, and it's like they've got him out at first reform now. I think it'd be better, it's, but like it's, if it's, action it's, movie though. It's Cedric the Entertainer as this old, like weathered, like yeah. 
I love that. He, it, he took up. He became a chaplain after this. He's got he dates, he, just, disease. He, he dates Amanda Seyfried at the end. <laughs> and their son grows up to be like he adopted. He adopted Michael's son. Michael it's like he grows up to be like Liam Neeson honestly, in the, the commuter. Cool, honestly. <laughs> Like a place beyond the pines kind of thing, where it just keeps going. Absolutely, yeah. Halfway through the movie, now we're following the children. Yeah, what actually happened is Michael Jr. now is the pastor of uh, First Reformed, and it starts. That would be dope. Andy works for the inter- energy Bulk. company. Yeah, he yeah. forgets who his dad is. Exactly, and then somewhere wow. along the line, Cedric the Entertainer's son comes along, and they have like this friendship that they develop. And then Cedric the Entertainer it. finds and out that Michael out that Jr. They... is his friend, and he's like, "Don't ever wait, wait, talk wait. to that boy again." Brand, 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 Brand. are you writing this down, dude? That's am, important. Yeah, as we okay, speak good. It. Yeah. All right, we can't lose and this. Then the the final scene of the movie is uh, Michael Jr. wraps himself in barbed wire. Now this is original. This is original, Man. and he has a glass of uh, gasoline. And oh, it's, it's gasoline! At the end, he That's drops steep. the glass, and you're like, "Oh shoot!" Like, did he drink it? <laughs> And we'll never know. <laughs> wow. But we find out that, that Michael Jr.'s girlfriend is pregnant, and then we're set up for First Reformed 3. The, I'm second, a, the second Reformed. I'm emailing Paul Schrader right now. We're going to make sure this happens. <laughs> it's Schrader at Paul.com. <laughs> the Reformed diverse. We start a whole thing. That's yeah. good. We could start a uh, graphic novel series on oh, the First Reformed. I love it. Yeah. I love it. All the pages are square. It's a dark horse comic. We're going real deep on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I kind of backed that. I was like, I'm out of this one. <laughs> hey, uh, the, the, yeah, yep, yeah. The grading in this film, uh, mm-hmm. very, very full of desperation as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't really talk about much no. of the visuals, but like there's, there's so many, uh, beautiful moments in this yeah. film like even I love the scene where he puts on the vest without the explosives on yeah. and he like takes it for a day just to kind of feel how like yeah. you know have that maybe build courage to do what he w- wanted to do yeah and he walks at the end of the day to the uh, mm-hmm. that toxic waste dump Ugh. and it's like the that's like top five favorite shots for me oh yeah any movies. So good. it's so pretty like I want so it like good. framed like that shot is so nice isn't it yeah. funny how how those like that color scheme of like those sunburst oranges and like purples and blues like that make it like the the jarhead scene where it they like wake up the next morning and they're like out in that desert and it's like purple and orange in the sky yeah. is like top three for me and like that that scene in Blade Runner 2049 where Joy is like a thousand feet tall and he's like oh, standing yeah. there all of those purples are like encapsulating I don't yeah, know Ben Affleck yeah. saw that that shot and was like I'm gonna date that girl <laughs> <laughs> He's like, how do I download this girl? The app store. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> totally, you cut out mid sentence there. We had no clue what you said. I was, <laughs> I was like, that bo- that joke bombed. <laughs> what's, what's really good is we're gonna hear all of his thoughts in post. Yeah, we'll we'll actually get to hear his whole thoughts when yeah. we listen back. Stay to tuned, the guys, for my podcast. Get ready because there's really gonna good. be some hilarious jokes <laughs> oh, man. hey alex this is fun uh do you yeah. want to plug anything uh yeah i mean you can follow me on, if you like my illustrative work uh i'm on instagram at alex ladon alex l-e-d-o-n and then also if you're interested in uh creative stuff i have a creative marketing agency we're called windu creative mm-hmm. w-e-n-d-u not creative. to be confused with W I N D U, the Windu family from Star Wars. Listen, okay, we keep that quiet about <laughs> yeah. our name. That's the origins are a mystery. Uh, some of you may not know, but Alex is actually the illustrative mind behind the two thirty five artwork. Um, That's right. Yeah. I know he plugged it a little bit in the beginning, but it was kind of like a humble brag. Now it's just a straightforward <laughs> like, uh, yeah, he's a he's a beautiful mind, as it were. Yeah, full of Russell Crowe and Ooh. Paul Bettany. Yeah, mm. yeah. Paul <laughs> Bettany was actually the the guy from The Da Vinci Code that whipped himself. Um, there you go. Yeah. It comes so, full circle. Yeah, it comes full circle. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Impacts. So this is a this was an upbeat episode. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> <laughs> Always. If you were feeling if you were feeling. Uh, Less than hopeful. I'm sure this episode really brought it up for you. We're trying to uh, we're trying to find the balance between hope and despair over here at 2:35. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So we got to. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Nothing. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm going to go tithe to my church now. You know, this movie just inspires me. 50%. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I'm ready. Hey everyone, it's me again, JWoww. Glad you could join us for this bonus episode. This was one of our favorite episodes we've done so far. Brent and I really enjoyed getting to hear Alex's perspective on First Reformed. And guess what? You can send us your thoughts on this film as well. Just follow the link in the show notes below and leave us a voice message on our anchor page for a chance to be featured on a future episode. That being said, two weeks from now we'll be launching episode one of our classic sci-fi season, where we explore some of the most memorable science fiction films of the 20th century. And if you stuck around to see if I keep my promise, here it is. Episode one of season two will be dedicated to the 1968 classic, Planet of the Apes, starring Charlton Heston. Brent and I have an awesome surprise for this episode and we can't wait for you to see it, so make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at 2 underscore 35 media for a ton of bonus content on all of our episodes and much more. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you soon.